podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello there, guys, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. I hope you guys are doing well. I hope that you're staying safe as always. And we thought we'd do a, something a little bit different. Following on from the first race of the season, there was plenty of talking points to take away from that race. Most notably, of course, Red Bull's dominance, Aston Martin and Fernando Alonso's brilliance in particular. Of course, we can't count out Lance Stroll for doing a mega job under the circumstances he was put under. But following on from that race, there was a lot of questions raised about Ferrari and Mercedes. And for different reasons, they may be considering their immediate to short-term options for the 2023 season. Now, going into this particular episode, we're going to look at why each team are concerned about their 2023 cars and perhaps what they need to do, not only for 2023, but perhaps by extension for 2024, and we're going to be looking at some of the consequences of these actions regarding two drivers in particular, one for each team, that might be interested in where their short to medium term future lies with each team. Joining me on this episode of the podcast, one of the DNF1 panel members, Lee Wallington, joining me this evening. Lee, first of all, how are you doing, mate? You okay? Yeah, I'm good. Uh, thank you. I don't know. I used to getting through this two week lull as ever. It's. Uh... As, as a fan, you just want the race to come thick and fast as much as obviously you. it's not actually possible to come thick and fast, but they will feel like it once we reach the, the back-to-backs. Now, do we have a triple header this year? I think we do later on in the year. but yeah. And a triple header. I'd I do be like a lying header. if I pulled something <laughs> off, the top, off the top of my head of where that exactly will be. Um, but I mean, with a 20, was it 22 race schedule, 23 race, schedule? 23 race, 20, yeah, we're definitely going to be having a triple header in there somewhere. F1 tends to throw one or two about. So I think it's like, might be the Dutch Grand Prix, Italian Grand Prix, Belgium, or something crazy like yeah. that. But, um, but yes, all good. And all is well in the F1 world, depending on which team you support, of course. And as always, guys, if you want to continue supporting us, you can do so subscribe to the channel, like the video. If you watch us on YouTube, and give us a five-star review if you think we're worthy, of course, on your favorite podcasting platform. We really do appreciate all of the support that you guys have kindly given us over the last few years or so. Now, Lee, big topic at hand, something we didn't really go into too much detail that we've alluded to already from the Bahrain Grand Prix review was the extent of the ailments already facing Ferrari and Mercedes, most particularly with Mercedes going into the weekend, but very much after the weekend, Ferrari, for very different reasons, have concerns. I want to start with Mercedes. Now, going into 2023, there was a lot of hope and expectation that Mercedes were going to be able to rectify, first of all, the porpoising issue on their car, the drag issues that they had with their car. They were carrying too much drag with their concept. We were also wondering whether or not they were going to be producing a different looking car to the one that they already had, most notably the issue with the Hyde Pod concept that we talked about. Now, we've already we've obviously stressed on the show in the past that this wasn't necessarily a fundamental problem 
with the Mercedes W13 concept going onto the W14. They retained that to a degree. There was a little bit more room for the side pods. Porpoising had stopped. So things seemed quite encouraging, even if they were on the back foot in terms of pace to the likes of Red Bull, Ferrari, even were considering where Aston Martin were in all of this, wondering if they were really on par with them. Following on from the Bahrain Grand Prix, even as early as qualifying, it was all laid bare for everybody to see. Total Wolf was saying that the car was as much as a second a lap slower than its rivals. It's the fourth fastest car. So Lewis Hamilton was often complaining about the fact that they were just so far behind. If anything, they were right back where they were in 2022 relative to the competition, maybe even worse. And George Russell, of course, has had a lot of things to say about this car as well. He even went as far as saying that the championship has already been sewn up and it's Red Bulls to lose at this point. So moving forward, there are plenty of options to consider right now. But first of all, I kind of want to get your take on this as a Mercedes aficionado, if you like. How, how disappointing must it seem already? Not only the in Bahrain where obviously strengths and weaknesses can be exaggerated one way or the other, and we'll get into those caveats a little bit later on. But how disappointing is it that after all the talk at the launches, all the talking, testing, all the hope and expectation that a team with the caliber resource and expertise of Mercedes still has more questions than answers regarding its latest car and is still struggling to keep up with the benchmark, which is Red Bull right now. Well, actually, first, I want to start with the, the positive uh, before I get to the, the disappointment. Um, like the, the positive, that you said, is over the winter, they've got rid of their porpoising issue. I don't think either George or Lewis complained about any form of bouncing. Um, even like the Ferraris were complaining about bouncing. Um, so they've designed that out. And I, I believe they were in the race. They were actually, Lewis was the fastest in the speed trap on a straight, um, which is obviously an improvement over last year where they were some of the slowest. So in that sense, they've ch- um, challenged that and beaten what an issue was last year. Um, so you, you've got to give credit to the Mercedes team that they've managed to target what they wanted to target from last year minus not having a faster car i mean the actual <laughs> this is an issue they will fix this issue the car's not faster that's a different <laughs> they get into the disappointing aspect is that you over the last few years as a a, a fan that supports mercedes or um drivers in mercedes camp it, mercedes have generally been the top team engineering in design in resource um, and just ingenuity and innovation and right, when the the zero side pod came out or revealed last year we were like wow this may be but it's been a bit of a dud so you're like okay they'll come back their target where's the innovation gone? where's the design but so much as you said energy and um and excitement and it's been um completely destroyed in the first race um, as, as you said, Bahrain's not a great circuit to gauge by, but it's yeah, it's still uh, sort of see that there's a bit of toys being thrown out the pram, so to speak, by the drivers, by Toto, that it's not meeting their expectations. Um, and I think right now that they're, they're really lost as a team. It's so sad to say that it's so early in the season after race one, yeah. I mean, Mercedes they weren't confident in fairness to them. They didn't run around with their chests out saying, oh, here we go. This is the car that's going to, 
you know, destroy the competition as it quite often did a few years ago during the last set of regulations. I mean, we had the odd joke from the odd Mercedes fan, as you would do, same way as you would do with most fan bases. Like Ferrari fans would have had their run-of-the-mill jokes. Um, you know, I'm sure McLaren or any other team would have probably said, oh, you know, this is going to be a great year for us. Optimism is in the air. We always go into a season thinking that our respective teams or favourites, whoever they may be, are going to have a better one than the previous one. That's just how things are in Formula One. But I don't think many people would have imagined that Mercedes would have regressed, if you like, relative to the competition to such a degree that they're already questioning their car concept. And I think the worrying part for me, as a neutral observer, if you like, in all of this, is Mercedes have had these issues for best part of 18 months now where they obviously didn't feel 100% convinced that this car was going to be something special they had concerns about it in 2022 obviously they had a very difficult test there a lot of people quite famously joked that they were sandbagging as Mercedes quite often used to do back in the days when they were dominating they'd sandbag or go slower than they could have done or chuck on hard tires throughout the whole test and then go and destroy the competition this time round however it felt to me that there was a massive surprise for everybody of how far they'd fallen back. And it almost made me wonder how confident Mercedes would have been with this concept to go along with it, rather than perhaps even considering something like what McLaren have even done, which is realise that even though it was late, better late than never, I suppose, that this concept wasn't going to give them the gains or yield the performance that they wanted. So they've decided to scrap it at the last moment and start again and hopefully bring something soon. Mercedes seem a long way from doing something like that. And that's what concerns me. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, I've said it, you've said it, and Courtney have said, has said it over the plenty of different um, episodes that if you copy the, the opposition, you can only be as fast as the opposition. To be the opposition, you need something different. Mercedes, through the whole period of domination, they're the only car... Um, or concept that had their concept, everybody else followed the Red Bull concepts. No one until the um, the pink Mercedes came along. No one copied Mercedes' concept. So they've always, in at least recent history, been used to setting their own way, getting their own design, working their own concepts, going there, and not having to copy. Um, and I think it's caught them off that, in their theory, had last year didn't turn out as what they expected. And what they've been designers expected over the winter hasn't seemed to have brought the results that they expected again into this season. Uh, I just don't think that as a culture, the designers just don't aren't, aren't sure or what to expect. And when their design doesn't work, when they the theory is great in theory, but it's a practicality and reality is where the car is. Um, and I, yeah, it just seems a bit rudderless. So I know there, there's rumours about oh, James Allison maybe brought back on to help, and obviously that's been denied by Mercedes. But where there's a rumour, there's obviously somewhere starting the rumour. Yeah. Even if it doesn't actually happen that James Allison's coming back at all, um, obviously coming back on board for the car design because I think he's doing he's involved in yacht racing or something. Something like that. yeah, the um, the Team America stuff. Or- yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think of what it's called now. That well, the sail race and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah forgive me, sail racing aficionados out there. We 
definitely not privy to that yeah, particular we do sport. The sport. <laughs> yeah, we are. We're not going to risk uh, doing that anymore. But um, no, I absolutely understand that. And I had heard a similar rumor to that. I heard along the lines that James Allison was being brought in on a temporary basis to oversee the upgrades going on the Mercedes in Imola. I suppose at some point that may be the point where Mercedes feel like, right, we've got the car to the point where we need to make a decision on what to do for 2024. Do we keep going down this avenue and still have faith in this current concept and continue to develop it to a point where we feel like perhaps eventually we will strike gold in what we want to achieve with this car? Or do we go down the Aston Martin route and try and develop a better version of the RB19 or what the RB20 will be when it comes out in 2024? And that sounds rather easy if you're a big team. Like, with all due respect to Aston Martin, they want to be a big team. They're not there yet, and they're very much punching above their weight from what we've seen already this season. And, you know, this is inherent in how this team operates. There's always been a team in its history that have always been a small team punching above its weight. It did so as Force India. It did so again at Racing Point. You know, as you mentioned, the pink Mercedes, if you like. You know, people joked about it, but it was the third fastest car in the 2020 season it should have finished in p3 in the constructors championship i think it just missed out um you know for one reason or another it didn't quite make it but it was still a very very good car aston martin had taken strengths of the red bull strengths of the merc strengths of the ferrari and tried to put it all into one big hybrid and it turns out to be a very good car arguably the second fastest on the grid right now and people will look at that and they'll look at mercedes and think Surely a team of Mercedes resource, if they were to apply the same thesis on how to make a good F1 car in the short term and add their resources and their expertise. And bear in mind, Aston Martin and Mercedes use the same wind tunnel on their car. Aston Martin have been borrowing Mercedes wind tunnel and have produced a better car than what Mercedes have at the moment from it. So you'd think with all of that information, knowledge and resource available, where Mercedes would end up in the overall pecking order is somewhere in the middle between Red Bull and, and Aston Martin. And that's a conservative estimate, which would clearly put them best of the rest. But even then, that's not really good enough for Mercedes, is it? They want to do a better job than Red Bull. They would hope that they would take what Red Bull have learned and try to expand on that in a way which would give them the upper hand. And in this current era, Lee, not only is that not good enough for Mercedes to try and outdo Red Bull at their own game, but it's also unrealistic. They just financially aren't able to do that anymore. Yeah, the it is unrealistic from a financial perspective. The only way, potentially, um, they, if they wanted to try and benefit from the current rule system, is they completely throw, if they want to change their concept, they could look at just throwing away this season. You don't bring any upgrades. You go down, you finish fourth, fifth, you take your financial penalty for finishing that in the constructor championship, take the penalty for the pit lane. But then you've got all that time for developing the car through this year. And then because where you finish, because I think it's halfway through the season, depending where your current standards, you obviously the ATR limits then change for the second half of the season. So if they're that's in fourth or fifth, they obviously get more ATR in the second half of the season. And then if they finish in a similar place coming into next year, they then get a lot more development time than Red Bull, who presumably at the moment prediction be first so they have obviously have the least amount so then it's a you get a big differential in the ATR regs and the aero development yes the financial cost of doing it you have to do sensible budgeting sensible planning um but that's the only way that you you as a top team you could potentially develop yourself out of being behind is 
or at least how I see it anyway, sacrificing your financial reward because you can't pay yourself out like they used to before the, the cost cap where you go three, four hundred million dollars. And yeah, every it will, it will be fine. They they're just, just not an option. So the only thing you can manipulate to your favor, so to speak, is the ATR rigs. Mm. But pride and honor would Mercedes throw themselves to finish fourth or fifth in the constructors? I don't think so. <laughs> well, it's like McLaren. Was it 2012 after the Turkish Grand Prix? Not the Turkish Grand Prix, the one before that. Mercedes, uh, not Mercedes, McLaren it was with Lewis Hamilton and Jensen Button. And they basically rebuilt that car halfway through the season. And everyone was excited about what they were going to produce. Was it going to be on par with Red Bull? Was it going to get in the mix with Ferrari as well? Because they were both fighting in the championship. And it was absolutely terrible. I remember the Turkish Grand Prix. If it was a brand new car, but I remember Sir Lewis couldn't stop complaining about it. Jensen wasn't happy with it either. Eventually, it did come good when they understood it better. But I think by that point, Sir Lewis Hamilton was already swayed to leave McLaren and go on to Mercedes, not suggesting that something similar is going to happen there, although we'll talk about that in a minute. It does feel that whatever Mercedes do is going to be a huge gamble, and it will require some short-term pain. If it were me, I'd probably, if I was Total Wolf, I probably would be tempted to use 2023 and use that like Ferrari did to some degree, or even as far as what Haas did, and completely abandon any con- you know further development after Imola, to when their you know first batch of upgrades is coming on the car to focus on a 2024 concept like the Red Bull one, because we can argue about different ways of trying to achieve the ultimate pace. But right now there are eight cars on the grid which have gone down the Red Bull route, and the other two are Ferrari and Mercedes. Well, actually no, the ex- excluding. Alfa Romeo and and to a degree Haas as well and obviously those teams aren't exactly setting up you know lighting up the timesheets either so you know there's only two teams that are completely stuck to their own concept wholeheartedly and as we've seen they're both struggling for different reasons and those are two teams that don't want to be fighting for second or third they want to win so yeah if I was Mercedes right now Lee and if I was Toto Wolf I probably would be very tempted to do that I mean Ferrari did it in 2021 ended up with the fastest car at the beginning of 2022 and you know maybe they wouldn't have won the championship if they'd capitalized on the advantage they had but they would have been a lot closer than they than they actually were and we also seen what, how well Aston Martin have been able to do by concentrating on a concept for a long period of time and allocating the necessary resource and it's proved to produce huge rewards it feels like with the cost cap punishments as well for Red Bull which is going to hamper their 2024 car to some degree, they may decide to, you know, abandon 2023 halfway through the season if they're so far ahead as we fear they could be, and then focus more on 2024 to mitigate that time loss. So there is an opportunity there for Mercedes, but I feel like they're already quite close to a deadline in order to maximize that opportunity. Oh yeah, I think they're very close to the deadline. I think Imolo is probably the last, as you said, the, the last um, point they can leave it. And just going back to what you said, Aston Martin, you think they finished seventh last year uh, compared to Ferrari Mercedes second and third. And they don't have the financial weight, but the ATR reckon the difference that they had in potentially in the development time. So you go back to what I was saying um, about manipulating, or not manipulating, a strong word, but taking advantage of finishing low in the championship. If a team like Mercedes or Ferrari, if they took a lower ATR, if they finished sixth or seventh, they could come back with a vengeance if they get that much more aero development time over second or third well, um, or even over Red Bull. We know it works. Which reinforces your point. So yeah, the ATR yeah. works. 
I mean, Ferrari used it, didn't they? They come yeah. sixth in 2020 and use majority of 2021 to focus on 2022 and look what they produced. I mean, yeah, it's a big it, team. It has great resources and great people, but if you give them more time than everyone else, they're going to come up with something that's going to be really, really good. And, and, and as you said, Lee, you know, not to sort of interrupt too much, but Mercedes, even if they fall back and someone like Alpine, for example, or Alfa Romeo manages to catch them up over the course of the season, because we know development is going to be quite steep this year, especially with the field spread, with the exclusion of Red Bull being closed up as much as it has done over one winter, there's every chance that Mercedes is going to end the season if they decide to focus on 2024 now they could end up finishing fifth or sixth in the constructors. And that's only going to pay them even more advantage heading into 2024. Oh, yeah. And as, if it comes to doing, as you said, uh, both said Imola being the dead point, then they may consider the, the advantage that may bring on the ATR side. Um, I was making a joke about at the end of last season about um, Mercedes and Ferrari trying to avoid being second to get the benefit of the ATR for third. But it really, yeah, I don't, I don't see Mercedes throwing it away, but it's something that, that I think they consider it if they decide to abandon their concept. Yeah, I mean, I suppose one way you could look at it, and maybe this is more of a concept issue that we've been talking about already, but Mercedes were third in both periods when the ATR regulations renewed themselves last season. Obviously, you know, because they finished first in the constructors in 2021, they started off with a disadvantage, but then that rectified itself where they were third going into the summer break. They were third at the end of the season. They still had more time than Ferrari and Red Bull. And whilst, I don't know how you want to play it, let's just play devil's advocate here and say they've gained nothing and lost nothing to Ferrari, but they've lost more to Red Bull and even more so over Aston Martin. It does make you wonder that unless Mercedes do experiment with a new concept, it doesn't matter how much time and resource they allocate to what they've got, they're just not going to be able to get to the level that Red Bull will eventually be at by the time 2024 comes around. Yeah, or are very unlikely they find the golden bullet that makes their whole concept work. But after 18 months and not finding that golden bullet, it's very unlikely there'll be a eureka moment in the coming weeks. They go, wait, well, this is it. This is the second that the suicide pods were supposed to be talking about. I doubt that moment's coming any at all, unfortunately. Yeah, it's uh, quite a shame at the moment for Mercedes fans. I, I did want to extend this a little bit furtherly by talking about the drivers in particular. Now, George Russell has said quite often that he joined Mercedes because they are a championship winning team. I'm not really... Correction, they were. But, well, they were, they were. But, I mean, when he joined them, they were Constructors' champions at the time and arguably should have been drivers as well. But, of course, we'll leave that one alone again. Um, but with Sir Lewis Hamilton, it is a different situation altogether. And there was an interesting quote that came from Sir Lewis Hamilton following the Bahrain Grand Prix. And I want to read it out to you just for the benefit of this conversation. And he said, I've driven so many cars in my life I know what a car needs. I know what a car doesn't need. I think it's really about accountability. It's about owning up and saying, yes, you know what? We didn't listen to you. It's not where it needs to be and we've got to work. Now, I don't think it takes a genius to see that Sir Lewis Hamilton is talking about his team. He's talking about the personnel that were in charge of designing this car and putting it all together and finding out what makes it quick. And I think we often understate in F1 how significant the feedback and input from a driver actually is in terms of making a very quick car. We don't often hear stories about modern day F1 drivers having a great 
input or a great amount of feedback into a car design or you know we often used to get that in the past I remember hearing stories about Michael Schumacher almost being like a mechanic you know and, and being involved in the design of car being influential in terms of what he wanted um you know other drivers like Fernando Alonso when he was younger at Renault when Sebastian Vettel Kimi Raikkonen in the past you know two drivers that were very very good when it comes to giving feedback and car design I think at one point Ferrari used to keep Kimi Raikkonen on for more seasons than they would have wanted to because Sebastian Vettel just said he was so good at being able to give input and feedback to design a quick car and you know Ferrari were in championship battles for a few years during that period so it probably made a lot of sense so Lewis Hamilton has often been overlooked in that regard. Despite Mercedes' dominance, I think a lot of people ignore the fact of how much input Sir Lewis Hamilton gives in terms of what makes that car go quick. He played a pivotal role as well last season in turning Mercedes' fortunes around to ultimately creating a car good enough to win on merit. Ultimately, he wasn't the one that benefited from that, but you could see how much improved Mercedes were in 2022 once Lewis had gone through that pain, once he'd gone through all the trials and tribulations, whilst George Russell was doing what he needed to do and pick up the results in the short term, to hear that from Sir Lewis Hamilton, and bear in mind, Lee, this is a guy that once said not long ago, um, in 2022 actually, when asked, oh, are you worried about the concept of your car compared to others? And he basically said, well, my team don't make mistakes. To now go as far as saying that they've not been listening to him or saying that they've built a bad car and they're not being held accountable for it this is a guy as well that also is looking at renewing his contract and whether or not he's going to do that remains to be seen but that's not a good vote of confidence from a driver that usually is very calm and methodical about his team's prospects knowing that they're in a good place but right now they're not yeah well i don't well, obviously he's implying their mistakes, but he could just say that he's just saying they've ignored him and therefore it's not a mistake, they just ignored him. Um, but yeah, it's Lewis definitely played a key part in developing the car last year. Obviously, George is very good at what he does racing-wise in his racecraft, but technical feedback and car development comes more of experience and age. And obviously, George being stuck in a rubbish Williams three years and then putting a Mercedes that didn't quite work. It's obviously he has technical development. He knows what he's doing, but when compared to Lewis, he probably doesn't provide that level of feedback. And so even compared to Valtteri and Lewis in the last few years, well, before last year, but the few years before, Valtteri probably still did a, a higher level of feedback into the car compared to what George can contribute for like development of a difficult car. So the fact that Lewis is probably leading in the technical development of the car. And then he feels that he's not being listened to and his suggestions about it. And obviously he feels aggrieved in one way or another on how the championship finished in 21, that he wants that car for the eighth championship, which is giving him his own personal motivation on top of his normal desire. Um, that the team has ignored him or let him down again his frustrations and his competitive spirit is probably now starting to spill out from that cool demeanor that we see portrayed to the media. Um, Because Lewis is very much a, a person that doesn't badmouth the team to the press. End of the day, um, he makes he's made some media mistakes. We certainly see things on Twitter in the past. That's the teams that they cover, but he doesn't normally go 
team, yeah, you messed up. So the fact that he's criticised the team in that capacity um, is a bit of change of character or, or show of frustration, I should say, more than change of character. Um, or maybe it's just a statement to the team that's like, look, my contract's out at the end of the year. You need to listen to me. The car's not where it is. I know what I, you need to change. And maybe it's more just a political play within the team for the designers to realise that they're not going where Lewis wants them to go. Well, I think that's a really good point. And, you know, for those listening that may not fully understand how serious or how big a decision this could be for Mercedes, I'll try and spell it out for you. And Lee, you kind of alluded to this already. So Lewis Hamilton is right now in the middle of potential discussions, not so much talks or all the legal jargon and everything else with Mercedes over a potential new contract. Now, last season... So Lewis wanted to stay on. He wanted to sign a new deal. He wanted to continue racing for the foreseeable future. He felt You felt like he was regaining that desire, the passion, the fun, the hunger to compete in race cars, despite having achieved everything that there is to achieve in the sport, quite frankly, that it can offer to him. But when you think about the current prospects at Mercedes, right now they look pretty bleak in terms of trying to win a race, let alone a world championship at this point. You know, obviously it can still happen, but a lot would have to happen that it wouldn't necessarily be on merit. You go into 2023 with a car that right now we're already talking about writing it off and, you know, potentially designing a 2024 car that could be a championship beater. It might not. Red Bull may have found other gains and Mercedes may be closer, but not quite where they want to be. Then you start having discussions about 2025 and then the focus will switch to 2026. If Sir Lewis Hamilton was to sign a new deal, Lee, that took him up to 2026 and hope then that he would have a car capable of winning a world championship, at the very earliest that that could happen for him in 2026, he'd be 41. Now, Fernando... Still younger than Fernando. Well, still younger than Fernando, (laughs) of course. But what I'm getting at here is, is Sir Lewis Hamilton really going to sign a three-year contract with Mercedes just on the hope that by the end of it, they'll be able to give him something that he can fight for a world championship again with. I can't see that happening. I really can't. I mean, we know if if Lewis does decide to call it a day, Fernando Alonso will be in there despite being like nearly 50 by then. But um, not not Sir Lewis. I can't see that happening. I, I could see him signing something, but under the proviso that if Mercedes aren't able to produce something that is more akin to what he's used to and what, you know, allows him to try and fight for a world championship again, I can't really see what would keep him there. Yeah, well, it, I think it all comes down to how much his personal drive and competi- um, competitive spirit is will push him. Obviously, Fernando, through his entire career, has always um had that furry spirit and he desperately wants that third championship um i mean fernando if he could i think he'd be going for another 20 years um until if it takes him 20 years to win a third championship he'll keep going until he wins that third championship he's outlasting for stappen trust me you heard it here first <laughs> i wouldn't be surprised if that, if that <laughs> probably <came> will <laughs> <happen>. <laughs> um yeah. so lewis i mean i know obviously he's spoken publicly about how he how much it hurt when he didn't win the 21 championship but um, to him uh, how much that will drive him to give him the motivation to be potentially in the midfield car or top midfield car uh, or best of the rest for the next three years yeah I agree it's a very big decision um, 
And especially if you're in the 26, you have to have a lot of hope that the yeah, Mercedes get the new engine right. Mercedes, obviously, the um, I don't have they even announced the error rules for 26? Probably not. So it's what kind of concept that, that the error rules for 26 will come with. And there's a lot of what ifs. So I really wouldn't be surprised if he puts in some out clauses that he he could feel like he's going to leave the team when it's not going his way. Uh, not not going his not going his way is not the right word, but not going the way or the direction that he believes will suit where his end goal is at the end of the day, which is the eighth title. And he's definitely one thing we can definitely say is he's not going to go to another team. No, so it's Mercedes no. or retirement. No, I think it's um, a bit long in the day before we start thinking he's going to go back to Ferrari or, or go to Ferrari. Like he said, he wanted to years ago, but uh, just sometimes those things never really happen in Formula He never one. ruled out joining McLaren again. Never ruled it, yeah. <laughs> going back, um, probably McLaren needs to up their game before yeah. Sir Lewis considers any sort of homecoming in that regard. But, uh, you know, as I said, it, it's a very interesting scenario here where we've got the the biggest commodity in F1, even today. You know, people talk about Max Verstappen and the longevity, but, you know, he's tied up for a while now. I, and I don't think I don't expect Max to go anywhere. I expect him to be at Red Bull his entire career, unless there's any reason for that not to happen. And the the he him and his father and even Helmut Marko have talked about Max potentially retiring early. So it's mm. you really Max would be a five time champion, then walk in twenty six. Fernando goes in the Red Bull. Job yeah. done. That's it. We're all just planning now where Fernando Alonso is going to be in about seven <laughs> or eight years' time. It's definitely going to be in a Formula One car. I was just question. I mean, this was the guy that we were talking about in twenty eighteen. It was doing a great impression of someone that looked like he was done with the sport, and now five years later up on the podium and the sky's the limit almost for him at this point but uh amazing stuff with fernando alonso but i i, I totally understand and agree lee i think mercedes are in a real dilemma here right now that they do have to take into consideration what sir lewis hamilton would want from them to do if he wants them to abandon this car and focus on 2024 they may have to do that to keep him at the team and the worst case scenario is not that he leaves but if he stays on they take the gamble and they're left with a dog of a car then, he'll just leave anyway. He's almost got nothing to lose by trying to force the gamble, really. You know, all right, 2023 to write off, but I think he can afford another year if it means get success later on. So uh, we'll have to see. I do want to move on to Ferrari, if we may, to cheer up the Merck fans so we can talk about another team's misery rather than their own right now. And uh, as much as this hurts me to talk about this, but we got her anyway, just for the sake of the content. Ferrari right now not only is this car slow it's also unreliable given that we had Ferrari extensively go on about how much work they'd done to improve their reliability they believed or they claimed that all the issues that they had were resolved they did thousands and thousands of kilometers on the dyno they did so many laps in testing no reliability issues whatsoever 40 laps into the first race of the season, they lose podium and a big chunk of points in a very competitive midfield, well, say midfield battle, upper midfield, if you like. And, um, I mean, where, where do we go from here? Not to mention the fact that they were miles off the Red Bulls anyway. And not to mention the fact they had to replace the battery before the race even started. Yes, exactly. <laughs> He'd already lost, well, we say lost one, but they've got to find out what's going on there. But, uh, yeah, Fred Vasseur, Following on from all that talk, saying that Ferrari were much more robust, they were going to be much stronger with reliability, then going on saying they now have concerns and they don't know what's caused this problem, at least as far as we're aware at the time of recording this episode. I mean, what do you do with Ferrari? It's just uh, 
Charles Leclerc was a picture of a thousand words, quite frankly. The way he was standing up against the wall, his head literally leaning against it, just thinking, what on earth have I got to do to catch a break right now? Yeah, I mean, the, the, when I saw that image um, with Charles standing there, what came to mind to my mind was Sebastian Vettel. Um, and you know when the when Seb was driving for Ferrari, he he was really he was really enjoying his time at Ferrari, and then there was a moment that it just changed, and he just didn't enjoy racing. And he, when he kept having his spins, and it's just like, what can I do to stop spinning? Or um, and it just reminded me as Charles had a similar expression of what what can I do? What, what why is this Ferrari team or this car not working for me? <laughs> what can I do? Oh, I see um, Seb got worse and then he left the team. And at the moment, Charles doesn't have the option of leaving. He's obviously he's still got another is it another year on his contract? No, he's I think he's got a f- he's got a few more because he signed um, that five year deal. Yeah, uh, I can't remember when he signed twenty one. I think it was. It was like, yeah, five-year deal in like 2020. No, was it so 2020 got, or something? Well, one of them. He's got yeah, a few more years. He's got two years. or three years left. That's all we know. Yeah, he's got a yeah. few more years. Multiple years. There, keep, keep it nice and vague. He's got they multiple put years more left. faith in him with the long-term deal than they did with Schumacher. And that's saying how important Charles Leclerc is to the team. Yeah, I think the only person that's been more um, affected by a long-term deal is Lando, but that's digressing. Yeah, um, true. But uh, Charles, I think he's... He's suffering from motivation loss, um, which is one probably one of the reasons why Charles, um, Fred Vasseur has been brought in to keep Charles in that sweet spot. But even if Fred Vasseur, the, the connections and the the talent that he brings in his role can only keep Charles mentally in a safe uh, safe space, driving space in wherever you want to call it uh, as a driver's uh, um, headspace. If the car isn't delivering, that's only going to work for so long, um, and it's a really dangerous uh, position that the team will find themselves in if they keep letting Charles down again this year. It's interesting, isn't it? Because Matti Bonotto was effectively fired, even though he technically resigned. He, he basically jumped before he was pushed. He wasn't yeah. in favour with, you know, um, with John Elkin and, you know, Benedetta Vigna, the CEO at Ferrari. They weren't Bonotto fans. And what was interesting to me is that even though they brought in Fred Vasseur, and I'm sure I can't remember if I said this on the review pod or if I said this in conversation with you guys, but I just thought to myself, you know what? If Massi Bonotto had been given another year, like I thought he should have been, and he was team principal of the team after that race, they'd have probably fired him anyway. Just on the back of that one race, thinking, well, look, the car's even slower now, and the reliability is still terrible. So it's almost like, well, he's not going to get much better. I suppose with Fred Vasseur, he's going to have the time and hopefully the backing and patience to try and turn things around. They're not going to expect him to turn it around overnight. Six months? <laughs> Six months. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, maybe. I mean, I mean, <laughs> patience Ferrari will have. <laughs> yeah, or lack thereof. But it, it depends. I mean, Ferrari operates so uniquely to everybody else in F1. And, and these days it's often to their detriment rather than to their success. So make of that what you will. I mean, this is a team that fired Marco Mattiacci after not long being a team principal, about five minutes after he persuaded Seb Vettel to sign for the team back in 2014, it was. So, yeah, yeah, you make of that what you will with Ferrari. But my point being with them, that after such a difficult start, you know, we, we talked about the car concept at Mercedes. I suppose with Ferrari, they have a little bit more leeway 
with what they want to do. And I don't believe for a second that they would abandon what is going on to try and pursue the Red Bull concept. I'm pretty certain that Ferrari, no matter what, will just try and maximise their own concept. They've always done that in F1. They've never tried to mimic what other teams have done. They've tried to take certain things, as you do, but the ultimate fundamental concept of their car has always been their own. And, you know, you can't blame them for doing that. Their success in F1 is unparalleled for a reason. I know people say, oh, because they've been there longer than everyone else. Well, yeah, but they've still won more, so it doesn't really matter. But with Ferrari, the good news for them is that Bahrain is probably one of those circuits, and we may get a few more this season that do this, but Bahrain was a circuit that very much exaggerated Ferrari's weaknesses and didn't utilise many of their strengths at all. Ironic considering how good they were last season, but, you know, things changed quite quickly in F1. So if Ferrari are anywhere near as close to having a bad race as they did in Bahrain, it will be a bit of concern. What are your thoughts on them going forward, Lee? Do you think they need to consider what Mercedes might be considering, or do you feel that they just need to keep at it and just find issues for what they're doing and hopefully get it right? Right. Firstly, I don't think that their decision is as drastic for Mercedes as Mercedes. I'd agree with you on that, but... You do remind everyone that last year, Red Bull in the first race of the season had a double DNF. And they still won the Constructors' Championship and finished first and third in the drivers. So having a DNF in the first race isn't in the championship bid. So Ferrari still still could be in there. Don't uh, give regardless. me hope. Uh, Don't sorry, give me hope. Just trying to give a positive spin. <laughs> um, uh. I wasn't trying to give you hope. <laughs> if, if, only, if only, it's the hope that kills you with Ferrari yeah, fans. It, is. it really um, is. But, uh, oh, but yeah, the, yeah, I think with Ferrari, it's more, it's not obviously the concepts may be an exaggerated, or the weakness of the concept may be an exaggerated at Bahrain, but it's their reliability that's the biggest concern. Um, they really need to find out the cause of the failure. Um, obviously, it'd be great if they could save their battery, but if they've lost the battery as well. That's not going to be great, and especially if they do end up in a close championship fight with Max and Red Bull. You don't want to be throwing away um, grid penalty positions because of your engine or your IC, um, your battery or electronics has let you down, and you've taken a ten grade place, place penalty off five. It's it's silly throwing away points, which is what cost Charles last year among his own um, accidents he they had himself. And it will just be if they haven't improved or learned anything from last year, which is not a great takeaway if they've learned nothing from last year. Yeah, it's um, not ideal. I mean, fortunately for Ferrari, as I said already, Bahrain is a very unique circuit. In qualifying in the race, you have to set your car up in two different ways, which isn't possible in F1's current regulation set. You have to kind of commit to the best balance you can possibly find between the two. Ferrari, obviously weren't able to achieve that they were good over one lap but for Fred Vasseur to say that they were a match for Red Bull in qualifying they weren't even if Charles Leclerc did a second run on those soft tyres that he decided to hold back and found a tenth or so Red Bull was still ahead and comfortably ahead in the race it was even more so for so many different reasons mostly because the Red Bull has a great um had great variety I think is the right word of downforce across the entirety of the car it has wings. Well, exactly. Red Bull gives you wings. There <laughs> yeah. you go. Other energy drinks are available. But, um, you know, 
You look at the Ferrari, it, it struggles with front end grip. It's not great on its rear tyres. The tyre deg is ridiculous and Bahrain was going to, you know, chew them up and spit them out for all of those things. And we saw that, particularly with Carlos Sainz, he just wasn't able to look after the tyres at all. That concerned me as well with his pace. I expected a little bit more from him after testing, but for whatever reason, Charles Leclerc just was able to get so much more out of the car than he was. Hopefully that was a one-off. In Jeddah, it should be a circuit that should suit Ferrari a little bit more. You know, running at a bit less drag on the car than last season. It was the fastest car in the speed traps. If Ferrari aren't going to be good at a circuit like Jeddah, then perhaps there are going to be concerns about them for 2023 long term. Yeah, it's it's definitely worth waiting for a few more races. Jeddah being obviously the next one before panicking in the Ferrari camp. Um, I think there's, as I said, I think there's more reason to panic in Mercedes. Um, but also as a, as a driver, or as a team, I should say, it's the development and path. And unfortunately, Charles isn't known for his technical feedback, what we were saying about Lewis and George and Valtteri. Um, Carlos is very good in his technical feedback. So maybe that's something else that um, Ferrari have to consider about developing the car is right, one driver's being their lead driver, but the other driver is actually the getting the choice on how to design the car towards them. So it's a bit of counterproductive situation where they can't develop the car towards the, the lead driver to get the best results. So it's, yeah, it's a really odd situation that they may find themselves in, but obviously I'm, I expect better performance in Jeddah. Yeah. Hopefully for their case, that will be the way. Well, we'll have to wait and see with Ferrari. Of course, we talked about Sir Lewis Hamilton at Mercedes, his current situation regarding his contract with the team and what he wants to do long term. Of course, Charles Leclerc is not considering retirement anytime soon. You know, that's the luxury of being more than 10 years younger than someone like Sir Lewis Hamilton, who's obviously gone on to achieve many great things. Charles Leclerc is yet to do. Realistically speaking, however, there is the growing threat that if Ferrari, despite giving Charles Leclerc a long-term deal longer than any other driver that they've ever done, even more than Michael Schumacher, there is a fear that if they're not able to deliver for Charles Leclerc what they'd hope to, there is a chance that another team might be able to entice him to go there if they can do a better job than Ferrari. And I see that as a distinct possibility that that could happen. And I suppose it begs the question, Lee, how important is Charles Leclerc to Ferrari? Is he as important to Ferrari as Max Verstappen is to Red Bull right now? Is he more important? Um, he's as important to Ferrari as Max Verstappen, but I wouldn't say he's more important than Ferrari. Um, Ferrari are in the luxury position in Formula One. That re- Obviously, if they're back of the grid, maybe not so much. But generally, every driver wants to drive for Ferrari. More often than not, to, to be perfect. It's the, the position it has in the sport, the historical rep, um, legacy of the team, and the prestige of be driving for Ferrari. Um, so if Charles did walk away, there will be other drivers of um, high-level calibre that would be willing to jump in the Ferrari. Um, obviously, one driver that is not, uh, that is associated with a team but doesn't have a seat, Daniel Ricciardo, for example. All right, I know he doesn't have uh, any good uh, last heri- um, from his last couple of seasons, but he could jump in to take the seat. Or you may get George uh, looking if Mercedes aren't going anywhere or 
um, even um, Ocon or um, Gasly. There's plenty of other drivers that would jump in to that seat. Contract, contract. You know, we know contracts mean nothing in Formula One. Would Fernando go back to Ferrari if the option? Of course was he would. But would he though? Because after that Aston, he went Martin, back to he, McLaren after. He's had a taste <laughs> of the Aston Martin, and it's. Good. I'm not sure he would right now, Lee. I think uh, he, last season, absolutely, absolutely would have oh yeah, done right it without now, thinking but... twice. He'd have rebuilt any bridges that he'd burnt after leaving the team in 2014. But now I'm not so sure, to be honest. I think he might feel that this Aston Martin has ways to go and we're already best of the rest. Yeah, I definitely think he would consider it if a Forest became available. If he would, as you said, it doesn't matter. Um, but Aston Martin may be second fastest now, but once the development race kicks in, never see Ferrari come back, I don't know. But a driver as opportunistic as Fernando, he would, he, after being effectively kicked out of a team for and revealing they cheated, <laughs> and he went back to McLaren, he can go back to Ferrari. <laughs> yeah, it's true. He's done a lot worse elsewhere. So uh, Ferrari, it was just sort of, you know... <sighs> rows and arguments with such and such you're not going to give me a winning card he was right they haven't uh, given a winning card they didn't no 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 <laughs> that's true that is true i mean we all said about 2018 and 2017 if he was driving that ferrari it might have been a different story yeah. but you know it's it's all ifs and buts and maybes really i think it yeah. just takes away from the great work that mercedes and lewis hamilton had done in that time as well that we often again overlook through ridiculous caveats but there you go Oh yeah, and also don't forget the good driving for the most part Sebastian did in those um, championship seasons as well. Mm. Obviously, we're digressing a little bit before, before he started <laughs> spinning around. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> he was brilliant before that. We loved Seb. Yeah, absolutely phenomenal. Anyway, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, no, no. I I, I totally understand. It, it's a hard one for Charles Leclerc because Ferrari very much were a big part of his development. They brought him through all the youth academies and into Formula One. And he is the centerpiece of that team right now. You know, Carlos Sainz has done a decent job there. And it, obviously there are ways in which he can improve. But Charles Leclerc is that driver that comes along once or twice in a generation. I'm not suggesting for a second that he's up there with Max Verstappen or Sir Lewis Hamilton right now. But he has shown at times when he's got the car underneath him and when he's really firing on all cylinders and everything's going the way it should be for him, he's a match for anybody. He's good enough to fight and maybe win a world championship. But Ferrari have not been able to produce a car that has been able to sustain a championship challenge for him. And there's only finite number of opportunities that they're going to be able to do that before he starts considering his options elsewhere. I mean, we saw last year, Lee, the British Grand Prix, how... That was a race he should have won, but through Ferrari's ineptitude and through Carlos Sainz's brilliance to ignore their commands, not only did he end up winning the race, but Charles Leclerc lost the race and it was made out that he was trying to be a, a petulant winger when Matthew Bonotto was giving him a talking to when the reality was, I think they're lucky he didn't storm the paddock and cause him a bigger fuss than he actually did, quite frankly. And, you know, that's going to be built on more and more and more as time goes on and we have more weekends like what we did in Bahrain. There's only so much that one driver can take. Oh yeah. Um, and I, that, that's where I was going back to the earlier point of Harry reminded me of Sebastian. Of Ferrari destroyed Sebastian's confidence and his hairline. Um, oh God, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, 
and as obviously the stress of driving for Ferrari, obviously not that Charles's hair is going to disappear anytime soon, but the it will pile up and to the point that it, he'll um, want to leave. And as you said, he's got the potential. There will be other teams that will take Charles if, um, if he decided that they wanted to leave or he's coming up to the end of the contract. So Ferrari have a, a limited time to deliver the for Charles, even if he doesn't win in a championship, but to be in a sustained championship fight for more than half a season, um, it's yeah, Ferrari really to step up um, in their reliability in their engine, um, especially. Mm, absolutely. Um, final question before we sign off, Lee. We asked it with Mercedes: should they abandon twenty twenty three and focus on a twenty twenty four car? We kind of both agree that they probably should do if it doesn't work out in Imola. Same question to Ferrari. Should they do that? And if so, when is the deadline for Ferrari? Uh, I don't think they should abandon the concept just yet because it's not the concept themselves that's really letting down. Yes, all right, the concept is affecting their tyre wear at the moment. But that feels like it can be resolved. What's letting them down is the mechanical bit in the engine department. Uh, um, and that is where you want them to focus if they get their engine and reliability sorted and then they find all these issues with the concept then okay but you can't make all these decisions at the same time like just going back to an example of mclaren and honda in 1670 mclaren were like oh it's your it's the honda engine it's rubbish it's rubbish our car is amazing if we had a mercedes engine we'll be storming the field they Went to Renault and I was like, oh, actually, our car is pretty rubbish. It's not the Honda engine. Um, so they can't make that decision. Ferrari can't have an informed decision until they get their own engine sorted um, and the reliability aspect. So that's where I feel Ferrari is stuck at the moment. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, just a quick note on Ferrari. Obviously, a big piece of news coming out earlier today that some of you listening might have heard. But rumours going around from uh, Julie Jacessa. Um, from Smilex Tech, saying that Ferrari's head aerodynamicist David Sanchez has resigned from the team. He oversaw both the design of the F175 and the SF23. And apparently, if the rumours are true, after gardening leave, he's going to join James Key's technical team at McLaren. So a big coup for McLaren. If that is the case, a much needed one, it must be said, depending on how long that gardening leave period is for Lee, Ferrari haven't mentioned if the rumours are true and if who the replacement's going to be. Apparently, it's going to be a promotion internally. But again, it's another one of those issues with Ferrari in the past where a lot of key people tend to leave their design team and then go and do wonderful things elsewhere. And for me, that that's not a good sign at Ferrari. I know people will look at that and say, oh, well, if the SF23 isn't that good, then probably that's for a good thing. But... We've seen many key people in the past leave Ferrari. James Allison, you mentioned earlier, was one of them, went on to do great things at Mercedes. It's not, I wouldn't exactly say that was great news for Ferrari, is it? No, it's, Ferrari have, have at least through recent um, history, have a really bad problem in retaining staff. Be it through company culture isn't great, or salary perks, I don't know. Or just the pressure of working Ferrari in the representation for Italy is the Italian team. Um, and the Tifosi, it's it has a lot of staff wanting to leave one way or another. Um, if you have happy staff, happy staff generally don't want to leave. So something's not keeping the staff happy. 
taking it outside of the racing environment as a workplace. Some staff aren't happy in a situation. You look at Red Bull, for example. The key staff in Red Bull have been there from the very beginning. Yes, there's promotions, there's retirements, but you haven't had people leave. You had second underlings followed like Dan Fellows, went to Aston Martin. Is it Dan Fellows went to Aston Martin? Yeah. That? yeah. So you have all, um, all these underlings that do move around, but the key staff don't change. They're, they're happy, they're with the common goal. And you can say a similar thing to Mercedes, but Ferrari, where out goes the team principal, where goes the lead designer, where goes the... Da, 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 da. So you don't have, as we said before, there's no consistency... There's no long-term growth or planning or cohesion as a team, as a department, as departments, as a as an organization, because obviously they don't want to be siloed because they obviously need to into a uh, they need to collaborate together to create the car across all the different departments. Um, and then on top of it, for I being in Italy, where most of the Formula One teams are based in the UK, so it's a lot harder to recruit from your comp- competitors because don't move to Italy, don't move the family. Obviously, the Brexit considerations that it's now harder to work in Italy than it was before Brexit. Um, with most of the the engineers, and as I said, based in the UK, it very find it really hard to retain staff. And I think as an organisational thing, regardless of the engine, they should be really be asking themselves, what can we do to retain staff? You'd think with the Brexit thing, that would go in Ferrari's favour, wouldn't it? Because that way they could have easier access to all of the staff based in Europe and just work at Ferrari, ease of travel and living arrangements and everything else. But for whatever reason, Ferrari haven't taken advantage of that, or at least, you know, to the degree that would turn them into world champions. I don't know how you could quantify or measure that, but logically speaking, you think it would actually help them. But there you go. Well, you have to get the the, um, the British staff, and that's the where you obviously get work visa, then you have to obviously submit to visa way you don't there's no one suitable in italy for that can do the role suit, uh, suitably instead of hiring well, Italian, you have to hire the britain that's it i mean based on the evidence that we've seen in the past you know not to say that 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 they are but the british staff seem to be bloody good at what they do um and uh, of course you know you know people from other countries are just as good in their own disciplines but uh based on you know the likes of adrian Newey for example, and James Allison, you know, some great designers in F1 today and have obviously produced great cars. And uh, yeah, you know, I suppose that's one. Yeah, I, I can't think of much more to You've say. Got, about. Um, yeah, there's uh, Alpha Tauri and obviously um, Alpha Romeo are the only other teams based. Mm. Uh, and Haas, you can argue between the US and Europe. That oh, are based. Haas is- Haas is a wonderful international outfit. It's probably the yeah. most international outfit going, really. And uh, I'm surprised that more people don't adopt the model. But there, there you go. It's, uh, yeah. But um, enough of uh, international politics as either or anything like that, because <laughs> I think we need to... Uh, yeah, bring back to the sport. <laughs> yeah, end that before we get into another argument or debate about something else that's completely different from Formula One altogether. Guys, of course, thank you so much for tuning into the episode. Let us know your thoughts in the comments below should mercedes consider a different concept for 2024 should they abandon 2023 give it up altogether sacrifice short-term pain for long-term gain should ferrari consider something different and how important will such a decision impact on the futures of sir lewis hamilton and charles leclerc let us know in the comments below as always like the video if you like it subscribe to the channel if you are new and don't forget to give us a five-star review on your favorite podcasting platform if you think that we're worthy we'll give you a nice little shout out as our way of saying thanks 
But until next time, guys, well, we will be back doing the Saudi Arabia Grand Prix preview next week. Courtney will be back with us. He is currently uh, delivering a few baby lambs. And no, I am not joking. That is exactly what he's doing at work. And um, so uh, all seems to be going well from what I've heard. that. So that's always a wonderful thing. But until next time, guys, before I ramble on any further, thanks for tuning in. Please stay safe and we will see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. And remember, as always, if you're not first, you're probably DNF1. Take care. Podcast Network.